Welcome to Founders Focus, a podcast made for founders by founders. I'm Scott Case, CEO and co-founder of Upside, and I created Founders Focus to help share free resources and actionable advice. Together, we're building a community for business leaders, entrepreneurs, and founders to come together to tackle today's challenges. This podcast is powered by my awesome team at Upside. Please visit foundersfocus.com to join the live video sessions or to catch up on past topics. Today, we're joined by Dave Will, who is the co-founder and CEO of Prop Fuel, a cloud-based SaaS platform, and uh, he is also the host of EO360 podcast, which is um, a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization, and I'm sure he'll talk a little bit about both of those things, among others, but let me turn it over to Dave to introduce himself, because he will be best at that, and in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Dave and I went to the same college together. It turns out we lived in the same dorm for a number of times. And given that we're both of the same vintage, neither of us can remember anything about that time. So other than those basic facts, um, but uh, we, we share a lot in common. So Dave, over to you. Scott Case, I am so flattered, by the way, to be co-hosting a show. This is now going to be on all my introductions when I'm on other stuff. I'm going to say, yeah, I once co-hosted a show with the co-founder of Priceline. That's that's going to go on my resume. I might put that on LinkedIn too. You are some serious stuff. Like, I don't know if people listening to this or watch this know this about you, but I was really proud when I found out you went to UConn too. So that's not about me, is it? No, but it is about me, which is always a joy to hear about. <laughs> but since this is supposed to be more about you, tell well, us about you. Co-hosting. So, it, well, here's about me. I'm a lover. I am an entrepreneur. I am a self. I, I, I think of myself as an adventurer because that's where I tend to find a lot of uh, uh, joy. I, and I tend to be drawn to things that require endurance. Right, so the the kind of uh, activities I enjoy are t- tend to be endurance related, and the reason I say that is because I think it's it's directly correlated to the life of an entrepreneur. Right, there's very few entrepreneurs that can go out there and really make an overnight success. It, it happens, but it's incredibly unusual, uh, and so I think there's a strong correlation between my desire to um, to embrace endurance and to become an entrepreneur. Um, but that's that's uh, that's how I describe myself. I, I I was able to. I started as an entrepreneur at thirty, and I was able to build a business, a soft, another software company, and sell it uh, about five years ago now. And um, and and so that's what gave me the uh, uh, the the opportunity to build another company and not get paid <laughs> for for a little while. Yeah, it's no Priceline. Let's put it that way. Not yet, though. Not yet. Like Although said, we are looking for investors, Scott. Well, you know, I'm just saying. As are hundreds of thousands of other startups that I yeah. can, uh, that I can, uh, that I've also introduced. So at the right time, we'll, we'll see if we can yeah, introduce. Are any of them still in funny. business? You know, Scott, they say one, one out of how many, uh, most 80% of, or 90% of businesses fail in the first five years. We're still standing, man. Yeah, you're you're right at the you're right on the the edge though. It's so strong. hopefully this podcast uh, doesn't tip you the wrong direction. Oh, how um, could it? Please. Well, get, you know, look, we have 25 minutes to go. Anything could happen. Oh my God, we're not going to get past this first question. Well, Tell us about we, you, Dave. We're gonna we're gonna try. <laughs> so uh, 
you talked about your entrepreneurial journey. You said you started your first company at 30. Mm-hmm. Um, and it sounds like you were at it for about 15 years before you had an exit. Um, so tell us a little bit about kind of the ups and downs of that journey. And then, and then what got you thinking about prop fuel? Oh man. So, you know, I, I, I became an entrepreneur, uh, because of the combination of two things, two things happened that led to this. And, and one is I worked for SAP, um, the local, uh, I think it was the U S headquarters in Waltham. Am I mistaken there? I could be mistaken, but in Waltham, Massachusetts, uh, I, I was working for SAP, the big, uh, German software company. And I remember on my last day as an intern, when I was getting my MBA in between the two years, I was there as an intern and my boss, Mark, one of these days he's actually he's probably local he's he's um gonna gonna uh, be in one of the events i'm in when i'm telling the story but he put his armor on me because in 1996 you could do that but he put his armor on me and he walked me out the door on my last day and he says you know dave and he was really in thinking of my best interest like he was really trying to encourage me and help me and he says you know i encourage you to walk a little faster and smile less because perception is reality. Now, you know me well enough at this point to know that that's highly unlikely that I'm gonna be able to smile less. But at the time, I thought it was really, really good advice. And I was like, I could do that. You know, I can walk faster, easy, super easy to do. And I can smile less, which I thought, you know, is manageable. I could probably do that. And anyway, needless to say, the second event happened uh, about three years later and I was fired from a job. Because I lacked a sense of urgency, so um, I, I built another business on the antithesis of that advice Mark gave me, which is to walk slow, smile more. In fact, if you look over my shoulder for the people that are watching this as opposed to just listening it, I got a I got a walk slow, smile more sign. That, and this was about this was literally 1990 something that my my boss told me this. My son just made that for me this past Father's Day this year. Um, so, so it's, it's, a, I would argue it's a, um, core value that, uh, I say enough so that my kids even know it's a part of who I am. So that's, um, uh, that's the, uh, that, that's what got me into it. Now the ups and downs are on prop fuel, man. It, it was, it was one of these things where I needed to, I didn't want to get a real job. I needed to make money right off the bat. So it's very, very much different than a lot of software companies where you're just dumping money in the beginning with the hopes of turning into a highly scalable thing down the road. So what happened is, uh, you know, that's why it took me, gosh, like seven years to break a million in revenue. And then after that, it was like we, 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 we doubled and tripled and quadrupled really, really fast after that. So I... Uh, you know, I, I could tell you stories and stories about the times we were hacked and about the time we acquired and merged another with another company into the time when I bought out my first partner for $17,000 and a laptop. Um, ultimately, I bought out my second partner that came through the merger. And then, uh, gosh, two or three years after buying out that partner, um, uh, I ended up selling it to private equity firm AKKR, which um, is a very... Uh, prestigious uh, Silicon Valley, um, Sand Hill Road, uh, 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 private equity firm, which kind of got me all excited, but it worked out really well. And so that's what led to PropFuel. It took about a year off 
and uh, searching for things to do. I knew exactly who I wanted to do it with, which was my lead developer at, Prop, at uh, Peach New Media, my last company. I knew I wanted to get him on board with me. And so I kept going with ideas. You know, I'd wake up in the middle of the night with an idea and I, my Evernote is just filled with ideas. And I'd be like, hey, Cameron, I got, I got a good one. What about digital birthday cards or something like that? And, and you'd be like, Dave, that's just, no, absolutely not. I'm not going to quit my job for that. So he said that about 18 times. And then he finally came to me with an idea. I said, yep, that's good. Let's do it. And that was Propule. So that was the journey to Propule, which ultimately became a, 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 um, uh, an engagement platform. Well, and that, that's our, our, our theme for today is the importance of engagement. So uh, well done in your segue there. Uh, talk a little bit about the founding of it, because you started with a very different customer segment in mind than where you are now. So maybe talk a little bit about what that first phone call sounded like uh, with your partner and then uh, kind of what, yeah. what drove you to pivot the business from, from that standpoint? Well, I, I think everybody, all entrepreneurs uh, go through this process of discovering product market fit, right? It's, it, and it's very few, again, like just like there's very few overnight successes. I think there's very few entrepreneurs that um, have this amazing vision and then they execute it and it, and it works. I think most, and that's again, why endurance is so important. Cause I think most people have an idea and then it evolves into something relevant for somebody or for hopefully for a large group of people. And uh, it doesn't have to be everyone but it has to be somebody and ideally more than one person. Um, and so Propfuel started as an, uh, gosh, uh, <laughs> it started as basically a way to give somebody a pat in the back. And we thought it was going to be a, a SaaS software for 25 bucks a month where we were going to get uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of, of uh, entrepreneurial sort of businesses to add this to their Slack or to, to incorporate this into their weekly check-ins. That, that was the origins. And what we found out very quickly is that people just don't care enough to actually pay for something that's going to give people a pat in the back. Occasionally they do, some do. Um, uh, so it evolved over time and I don't need to take you through every single transition, but you know, it was a couple years of, um, discovering that this is not as easy to sell as we thought it would be. And we were listening to what people were saying and we we're reading between the lines. We kept dabbling and MVP style, you know, coming out with just what if we were to do this and tweak it? And we found every time we did this, every time we did something a little different, uh, there would be an increased level of interest, which also allowed us to increase the price. So we went from like 25 bucks a month where we're expecting this. Um, self-serve SaaS software kind of thing to now where we're at, where, you know, it's, it's a annual contracts. It's not a, what I would consider an enterprise platform, but, but now what, what we finally evolved to is a platform designed to automate the process of engaging constituents. So we do that by asking questions or specifically on most cases, a question capturing context 
And then based on that context, taking action. So it sounds like a survey, but it's, it's more like marketing automation with a series of questions over time going out to a very specific group of people asking where they are in the journey. And then based on where they are in their context of where they are, we'll do something very specific to them. In fact, think about it like this. Um, and I'm, I'm transitioning a little bit from the uh, pivoting, but I, I think there's a really good example to understand contextual engagement because engagement comes in many forms. What, what, what we're focused on is context. How do you build context around a relationship you have with a employee, with a, with a board member, with a, with a client, with a customer. And so context starts with a question, right? So, uh, I, I have three boys, they're all teenagers now, but I had three boys. Um, and I remember some early, early mornings or late nights, I'm not sure what's 3 a.m. holding a baby and the baby's screaming, you know, all of them did this at one point. And so you, you, first thing you do, you're looking for transactional data, right? You're looking for your data. Number one, you check the diaper. Is it poopy? No, or yes, but regardless, there is some data, right? You have some transactional data. And then you you might, you know, the belly's really hard. Maybe he's gassy or uh, or he's hungry. Let's try a bottle. Does that work? No. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just say, hey, Zach, that's my oldest. Hey, Zach, uh, he's the one at UConn, actually. Hey, Zach, uh, what's the matter? What's going on? And then Zach could say, well, dad, you know, I woke up about 10 minutes ago and I got this awful cramp right here in my stomach and I really had to go to the bathroom. So I did. And so like that's context, understanding what's going on. Well, Zach, what did you eat for dinner tonight? Well, I think I had some applesauce and mushed sweet potatoes. And it's like, oh yeah, applesauce and sweet potatoes. There's the problem. So that's context is understanding where people are at in the journey. And that's what we're doing now. So finally, what we've done is we went from being this one specific thing and over time by adding functionality and asking a lot of questions, we landed to where we are now, which is this beautiful, beautiful um, fit specifically for member-based organizations, primarily for member-based organizations where we're helping them engage their membership. And how, how long, you said a few years, how long did it take you? And let's say roughly how many kind of experiments did you run to get to a place where you felt like you had that product market fit, the product side around, hey, the key thing is initiating with, with a question and then getting some context and then taking action coupled with, hey, it's really member-based organizations that need this most, like rough timescales. Because I think a lot of, you brought it up a few times and I, I share this the same experience, which is it's very rarely that you hit it in the first month, six months, even year that you get it right. It's mostly that you have to kind of experiment your way there. Yeah. So for, for us, it was about three years, really long time, but, but, it, it, you know, I, I mentioned the podcast and there's a great podcast with, with you, Steve, in the EO 360 podcast. Um, just look up uh, EO Space 360 and and Scott Case and and you'll hear our podcast together. But um, I've interviewed a lot of people, and three years surprisingly is not a long time to find that product market fit. It's kind of expected. It's going to be a, a, about that long. So uh, it took us about three years, and gosh, it, many, many, many iterations of the audience the messaging, 
and the product, right? It's those three things I think that play a role in the product market fit. It's, it's what do you have? Who are you selling it to? Who, whose problem are you solving? And the messaging and the messaging is like, what's the problem and how do you solve it? So it's the combination of those three things. I think that, that we kept trying and changing one thing and substituting another. And then eventually we found a really, really good fit. So, um, and there's some element to having an understanding of the market you're selling to as well. Have you found the same thing? I mean, you've run a number of businesses. You've had a whole bunch of um, startups. Have, have you found, have you had any where your idea right off the bat was a success? I'd say uh, one or two where the problem and the solution kind of matched up and uh, had enough momentum and scale to, to carry the day always making adjustments and changes for sure, but the vast majority are much more uh, evolutionary. And some, you can iterate and iterate and iterate and find yourself at the end saying, you know what, there's no place else to go. We've sort of experimented everything to the end. And uh, and uh, we don't think we're gonna be able to overcome whatever the challenge is that we've faced. So, you know, my the company before Upside, uh, we were selling to small business owners. And uh, the basic discovery was that our whole premise was to sell to this market. We built a bunch of interesting technology to solve some key problems for them. Um, specifically, they generate a lot of data, but their business doesn't get better as a result of that data. And uh, so we said, well, we'll collect the data. We'll do some, you know, basically analytics and we'll run some machine learning against it and we'll come up with insights. Uh, that would help them make their business better. Uh, those first two things we figured out took us about six to nine months to get to that place. The last bit was then to take those insights and turn it into a product that a business owner would actually act on. And we tried everything from literally paying them. Like we were so confident in our analytics, we'll pay you $5,000 to make these changes and we'll eat off of the change, yeah. right? You'll, you'll sort of pay it to the other end of the spectrum where we would charge them $5,000 in the assumption that if we charge them a bunch of money, they would pay attention to it. And um, we could never get enough of them to actually move to make the business work. And we were just not in the, we weren't in the game to get there. And, and the core insight was that a lot of these business owners, they were running, think main street businesses. So everything from nail salons to restaurants to, to dentist offices, there is a reason that they're 250,000 to a million dollars in revenue. They have no ambitions to go beyond that. And they sort of live inside their business very closely. So we got to the end of the line. We, we ended up selling the technology to somebody else. And, uh, um, and and told our venture investors, look, we don't think there's a way to solve this problem right now. And so we had to move on. So you just nailed a big piece of it in your last sentence, which was we told our venture investors, right? So endurance is dramatically reduced when you have funding, right? You can't just keep going and keep trying to figure it out. Um, and and I, I equate that to like, bulk you know if you if you have muscle or a lot of weight you can't do an endurance run you're not going to run 100 miles it's highly unlikely so um and that's kind of what i would equate venture 
to. I mean, it, I think that's why I believe that funding comes after you've got the product market fit. Like you better know your product market fit pretty darn well before you go uh, looking for money. That's just my experience. And um, actually that's where we're at right now. You know, four years in, we think we found our product market fit. We got some traction. We got, we're, we're scaling now. And so now we're like, okay, this seems like a good time for us to get some funding and, and make things happen faster. Yeah. It's the, the, I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs about, about funding in general. And there's this, uh, I don't know, romantic notion of, of being a venture backed company and all that goes with it. And, you know, it's really a, it's really a very critical choice. It's a fairly narrow path that you need to be on. And it's a, and it's a funding train The the craziest part about it is I, I believe that we could have raised more capital because we had built enough uh, to demonstrate that there was you know, some traction there and, and, and some of the technology could have been applied to other markets, but it was going to, it was just going to take another sort of pound of flesh out of us to get to the next, to the next step. And th those are really important choices. And I, I often uh, talk to founders, not just about getting that product market fit, but making sure that you really want to be on that, you know, raise, X yeah. amount of dollars every 18 to 24 months and, and give up 20% of your company trained. Once you're on it, you, it's very hard to get off of it. Well, Samantha said that you were lucky to sell the technology and in that, that example, and that's, that's a great point. You know, it wasn't a total loss. Yeah. I mean, I don't think our, our investors would have seen it that way. Um, but it, it was, it, it was demonstrable, Demonstrable. We demonstrated that the like the first set of assumptions we needed to prove, we proved those very quickly, which was around the data and its value. The challenge was turning that into a, a product that was going to be valuable. And mm -hmm. the reason that the company bought the technology was that they had an existing uh, an existing customer base that they could essentially sneak the technology in without having to sell it. So it basically enhanced their operations um, in a way that in, in an existing business relationship. And, you know, had we, in retrospect, had we understood that market better, we might have been able to sell, we might have to turn ourselves into an enterprise software business to a wide range of companies that were like them. But at some point you, you have to make the choice as to whether you're gonna be in the endurance run, run or you're gonna take the next exit and move on. Yeah, because, right. You know, you, you, your time is, that's all we have. Right. And so each trip around the sun is, you know, is an important one to leverage. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, when they're making the decision to keep running or not, it's important to sort of check in. And in, in that case, my yeah. founder, my co-founder and I were like, look, is, do we really think that we've got the ideas and the thinking that's going to crack this nut? Or, or have we reached a point where it's, a natural point to, to say, you know what, maybe it's time to put the ball down gently and move on to the next thing. Well, what's interesting is what you described isn't too far off of what prop fuel is, what we're doing in terms of, of somehow gaining insight. We happen to ask questions to gain insight. And so early on, that's what we did. Ask questions, gained insight. Sounds like a survey, doesn't it? Kind of. But what we added in was the actions because you're, I think what you described, you were looking for human action 
How do we motivate people to take action on this? So what we did is we eliminate the human element and said, okay, what are the mechanical actions? What are the digital actions? What are the, what are the automations? What are the workflows that we can build? And then we got dozens of workflows that come out of the, the insight based on what's coming in. So there's a trigger. So anyway, we, we believe we solved that, how do you get people to do stuff thing? But then we found a different audience too, where this would actually play a role, wouldn't work well with people. So it wouldn't work with nail salons for us. It's A, we also increased the price. So I don't think it's a good product for a nail salon. And B, we've, um, the, the, the problem we're solving isn't something a nail salon is really dealing with. So anyway, it's, it's, I think it's, you're absolutely right. You need the endurance though, to get over those hurdles and to go around those walls. Yeah. And, 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 and again, at each, I think lots of entrepreneurs, your point earlier about the vast majority of startups and, and small businesses don't make it. I think there's a difference between not making it because you you don't have the endurance to do it, not making it because it actually can't be made, right? There's no, you know, you, in its current state, right? Right. Yeah. Right. In that yeah. current state, and the, so the question is, are you ready to make a make a make a big adjustment or change not? the state? Right. Pivot. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you talk about just to go back to engagement for a, a minute. I think we should go the, back to engagement for the whole thing. Actually, the remaining time, I, I think I got us onto this endurance shtick. I apologize for that. Not a problem. Engagement is good, and they both start with E. So who yeah. can who would know? They're pretty much. Uh, but I, but I think that the the engagement part, when when I think about a lot of founders, is, and I want to zone in on this product market fit piece because part of understanding your product market fit is, you know, do you have customers? Are they paying you, et cetera? But another part of it is is kind of what what do they think about about their experience with you and how do whether it's their customers or their employees or other other so how do you get if you're a founder you know and our audience is filled with founders and and, and entrepreneurs along the journey what are some tactics or some strategies to sort of get in and understand not just the engagement and the action you're taking to maintain that engagement but that engagement in the context of, do we have a product market fit here that that seems to be resonating in a way that goes beyond, to your point earlier, about a transaction? Yeah. And, and I mean, a big part of it is, are you asking and are you listening? Right. So those are, and then not to mention, then are you actually taking action on what you heard? And so, so the, some of the tactics, I think some of the obvious ones, and I hear our clients talk about this and, and the whole industry, every Everybody talks about listening better and asking questions and, 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 and giving your employees and your customers or clients a chance to talk to you and tell you stuff. But it's really hard the more clients you have. If you have a dozen clients, I mean, if you're a, if you're a coach or, um, uh, or if you, for whatever reason, you talk to your clients on a regular basis, that's great. You can talk to your clients. You can have that interaction with them. It's hard to beat that, you know, to sit down with somebody and say, so like when you walk into a doctor's office, what's the first thing they say? They say, so what brought you in here? Or how are you doing? Or tell me what, what's going on. They have the charts. They have your pulse. They have your blood pressure. They have all the transactional data that we have through our CRM and our systems. 
But what they don't have is the context of what's going on with you. And so by asking questions, we're, we're, when we talk about listening, we're really listening very specifically for context and what's going on. So, I mean, the tactics are pick up the phone and call people. The problem becomes when you have more people and more customers or more employees, then you can legitimately pick up the phone and talk to on a regular basis. So like, and I mean, that number would vary for different people. For me, if I have more than like 15 employees or even 15 clients, I'm probably not going to pick up the phone and talk to them every day, let alone thousands of customers or, or like some associations, 30,000, 50,000, 60,000 members, right? You cannot talk to them throughout the member journey or the customer journey. You can't talk to them at all the critical points, nor do you know when those points are critical. And so that's the whole point of, of, um, of, of creating campaigns, you know, just like a marketing automation campaign for different segments of, of the member journey of the client journey so that you can ping them with questions and ask a question here and there. You're not going to get everybody to answer. That's okay. But what you're doing is you're giving people an opportunity to talk to you. And so the tactics are pick up the phone. Uh, I guess some people send, send out surveys. I, I can't stand surveys. Number one is they're just filled with friction. You know, click on a button in the email and then you go to this survey monkey and there's usually a bar at the bottom that tells you you're only 12% through. I just can't stand surveys. And then you get the survey, Scott, and you look at it and you're like, ah, oh, that's what I thought. It doesn't tell you anything about an individual. What it does is it tells you about your your segment. So anyway, that's the, I mean, those are a few of the tactics. But the, the, the approach we use is very simple. It's a three-step process. And uh, the, the process is ask, capture, act. Right? It's, it's not rocket science. In fact, I think you said it a few minutes ago in different words. It's you ask a question, you capture the context, and then based on the context, you take action. We just happen to bundle that into a platform, right? Because it's really with, with automated workflows, because it, it's really, really hard to get yourself to do that on a regular cadence with your employees and your customers. And if you follow uh, Vern Harnish or Gino Wickman, uh, the EOS traction methodology or the, that's the entrepreneurial, entre uh, entrepreneurial operating system or scaling up, which used to be known as Rockefeller habits, you know, these are systems to manage strategic planning systems. Both of them say you've got to have a regular and consistent process for listening to your employees and your customers. That's the engagement we're talking about. But engagement isn't just listening. Engagement is getting people to do the right things that you've mapped out in your customer journey for them, getting them to do the right things at the right point in time. You know, I keep this book handy. Um, so the, the, these uh, choose your own adventure books, uh, these are, you know, get to end of a short chapter and says, so what do you want to do now? You want to go underwater? This is a journey under the sea. Do you want to go underwater and try to find Atlantis? Or do you want to, you want to try to swim for it and make it to shore? You know, it's like, what do you want to do now in, the, in your journey under the sea? So anyway, a couple of tactics. But the biggest thing to remember from methodology is ask, capture, and act. Really, really simple. That's so all. What, what's the format? What do you think that, that, that have you discovered in, and let's say you're, 
your first question that you're testing in an engagement, is there a is there like a top one or two questions that you've seen that are really important to ask early in those in that engagement in the early part of a journey? Okay, so I do have an answer. The answer that the the best if I could ask one question, this is one question I would ask. Um, but hold on. The real answer to your question. Yeah, stay tuned. After this commercial, I'll tell you the, no, the real answer to your question is it totally depends. Don't you hate that? It depends. It totally depends on where you are in the member journey or where you are in the customer journey, right? Where are your customers in the journey? Where are your employees in their journey as an employee? Totally depends. If it's a brand new client or customer, you're going to have a different set of questions than if it's a client that just recently said, we're not going to renew right? Totally different experience. Or if it's a client just hit a major milestone in their relationship with you, celebration time, totally different questions. So having said that, generically speaking across the board, you know what I really like? It's a satisfaction question. It's most people have heard of it. It's called NPS, Net Promoter Score. And they have one for employees, E, NPS, employee NPS, or for customers, it's just the NPS. And it's, it's, I have a blog post. If you just search, um, Gosh, probably prop fuel of um, uh, net promoter score. My guess is my blog post will come up, but it explains the process. It's always the same variation of uh, would you refer us? Would you recommend us? That That's what it is. How likely would you be to recommend us? And it's always zero to 10, 10 being the most likely, zero being definitely not. And it breaks it down into promoters and detractors and passives in the middle. And the score is actually a percentage of promoters minus the percentage of detractors. But the net, and then it's, it's usually followed up. Oh, thank you for that. It's usually somebody posted it in the chat. It's usually followed up by um, uh, an open-ended question of what can we do better? And that's, that's the voice of the customer, the voice of the member from member-based organizations. Um, but that's, that, that, that's a really, really good question. Cause you can identify on that who is hurting and who is, uh, actively somebody you can turn to for references, testimonials, and you can get some really good feedback, both internally to your employees and externally, really good question, but not to be, um, confused with an end all sort of metric to rule them all. You know, there is no one question that will rule them all, but it's a really good metric among others. As you look back at your kind of journey and your twists and turns um, in developing your product, you obviously had to reach out to a wide range of different potential clients along the way. Do you have a prospect question? Is there an opening that you have used as a question to engage a, pro a prospect? So somebody who's not yet a customer. Well, I look at that like courting uh, a partner, right? So, so for me, I, gosh, I remember, I wish I, I had this process down in college. Um, I remember trying to court all kinds of people in college and in the process, isn't just one question. You can't just, it's very difficult to walk up to somebody and just ask them, Hey, I want to go to dinner or you want to hang out? Like it, it's, it's hard to do that. So you got to kind of, it's a series of questions over time, right? That's what makes it a campaign. So depending on the scenario in which you've engaged this person to begin with, that's going to lead into the first question. So for example, 
if I saw a young lady in a class at college, my first question might be, so what do you think of Psych 101? You know, like, okay, bad question. I'd probably have more time to stew on it while the professor's talking. But, you know, in that scenario, I'm going to ask about the class. In the case of a business, if you had them in a webinar and you're using this webinar as a lead gen tool, first question might be, hey, what'd you think of the webinar? How would you rate the webinar? Would you refer us to a friend? NPS might be a good first question. But the action should be driving them to sign up or join or click on the call to action. The second question might be a little more direct. And usually by the third question, I'm asking straight up, do you want to go to dinner with me? You know, the third question is, do you want to join? Do you want to buy? Do you want to, and now you're really getting to the, and lots of people don't even ask that question. Like they're so afraid to ask the direct question. Hey, are you interested in joining our association? And it's stunning how many people just say, yeah. It's it's shocking. I wish I got those results in college. Yeah, the 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 I, I do see a lot of entrepreneurs um, struggle with asking for the order, whether it's asking in an it's email, asking ask for their order. Web, on their yeah. web page, asking in person, uh, and uh, it, it is interesting too to think going back to your context piece, uh, understanding to ask the right question. If somebody has come in, again come to visited your website, you might ask them a very different question if it's the first time they've been there than if yes. they're, if they've given you an email address and you're sending them an email to ask them to come to your webinar or, and, uh, and even in your webinar example, I really prefer questions in this context. It might be, you know, for us, what did you think of Dave Will's examples about asking questions is a much more specific thing. It sparks people to remember what it was that they, that they listened to, Context. did they pay attention to those things? It gives them a handle as opposed to what did you think of the last founders focus session, which is like, I don't remember as 50 things yeah. have happened since you emailed me. You know, one of the biggest mistakes we make is we guess what it is our clients or our customers want, the people we're trying to engage, we guess what it is they want. When actually there's no reason why you shouldn't ask them what they want, capture the context around it and take action on it. And so that's, that's what we've tried to automate the process of the best case scenario is to pick up the phone and do it. So if you've got five customers, that's the way to go. You don't need us. But if you've got 50 or 500 or 5,000 customers, that's where it becomes very difficult to pick up the phone and have that kind of dialogue with them. Yeah. Ask, awesome. ask. Excellent. Well, thank you. We're, we're at time, but Dave, thank you very much for joining us today on Founders Focus. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Founders Focus. What did you think? You got any feedback for us? Got a topic that you'd like us to discuss or maybe a future co-host? We'd love to hear from you. Just hit me up on LinkedIn at T. Scott Case and uh, join us at foundersfocus.com to stay up to date with the latest episodes and join us live every week at our Founders Focus sessions. Hope to see you there.